0: This is a podcast for Functional Ecology at British Ecological Society publication. Hi everyone, today I am very happy to be chatting with Thomas Chivonk. Thomas is Assistant Professor of Urban Entomology at the University of Florida. His research focuses on subterranean termite biology with a particular interest in the field of evolution of insect societies, termite ecology and termite control. He has authored over 85 papers and is also the organizer of the UFIFAS School of Structural Fumigation, the Termite Course for Professionals, and the International Termite Course. Today, in addition to finding more about the author himself, we are discussing his recently published research article in Functional Ecology, Eusociality, and the Transition from Biparental to Alloparental Care in Termites. So, hello, Thomas. How are you?
1: Hello, Harris. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good.
0: Good. So to kick things off, um, let's do some introductions. I want to find out who you are, where you're from, and what are your research interests?
1: So I am Tomas I'm here an assistant professor at the University of Florida, and I study termites, and I've been studying termites actually for the entirety of my adult life. It's been, what, about 24 years now. And I um, I grew up in a small village somewhere in France, uh, being exposed to uh, to nature and bugs. And as as a young kid, I was looking at at you know ants and beetles and other little things, creepy crawlers. And I kind of got interested, and in, I kind of read a book about biology of ants, and got me really uh, interested in how this little creature can be so simple in first look, but when you look. Deeper, they, they are very complex and they're very well organized and so successful. And it kind of uh, directed me to go for a biological degree and 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 uh, social behavior and evolution. Uh, so I, I went through my master studying basically animal behavior uh, in the context of evolutionary processes. And then I came to Florida to do my PhD. Um, uh, and I basically continue developing my passion about the, the fantastic biology of termites, which I'd argue is mostly misunderstood by
0: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fab. Well, I mean, that's that's what I wanted to... That's what I thought of, is that termites, I think conventionally, people probably think of them as being... Well, they're, they're, they're seen as pests, right? They're conceived of as pests, but your paper really shows the... Kind of social structures and just how interesting it is the you know the way that they um they organise themselves. So just before we go into that, um, I wanted to ask: Would you call termites your favourite organism? I'm sure you're going to say yes.
1: Uh, yeah, but I'm kind of biased. As I said, it's that's uh, what I've
0: been doing in my life at this point. <laughs> <laughs> is there any anything on the horizon, like any other organisms that you'd think? I, I mean, to go back to your childhood, like exploring. Anticology or anything like that yeah
1: and and the fact is everybody grew up as a kid they can't see ants anywhere you go so we are exposed to ants uh like anybody else but rarely to termites because they're small cryptic and mostly restricted to tropical areas so uh i was lucky to be exposed to termites really early on uh during my undergrad I wanted to work on ants, just like everybody else, you know. Um, and they had, a, in, in, in the University of Dijon in, in Burgundy in France, they had, at the time, uh, some interesting live colonies of virus species from various parts of the world. And it just blew my mind uh, that I didn't even know this thing existed. And after three days just working in the lab as a, as a volunteer, it's just like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm not going anywhere, but um, as an entomologist overall, I I, I I do enjoy anything that has six or eight legs. Uh, overall, I, I love to take my camera, go out, and take whatever moves in in the backyard. Uh, it's uh, it's always very cool to look at the the diversity of life out there and and arthropods as a whole, insects, spiders, and and any others really represent very well this insane diversity that exists out there. But often we don't take the time to look at, we ignore them. And I take a pleasure to to, to expose myself and my daughter, <laughs> my young daughter to it, uh, which she, she seems to be rather receptive to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, children are sponges, right? They're blank canvases and you can impose a lot of, really great traits onto them by <laughs> just exposure to stuff. Right. So, um, yeah. So being in Florida, I, I know you mentioned before we started this recording, that it's sort of a hotspot for invasive species. Um, can you dig into that a little bit about like the history of that and why that is and the role that termites have in, in that?
1: So, so Florida is kind of a unique place in the world, uh, at least for the US, from the U S perspective, um and a lot of the time we look at for example australia has been at this uh classic case where it's been an island that has been invaded by many invasive species that have destroyed ecosystems one after another and we do have something uh very similar actually in florida because we have a major ports throughout the coastal area of florida from jacksonville to miami to tampa and there's a really big traffic of boats coming in and out, both commercial, but also uh, private small yachts and sometimes luxury yachts. And these boats come in and out, go around the world. um, And because we're in tropical area, we uh, are able to host species throughout the tropic because the the, the climatic conditions are are favorable for them to thrive there. And over the past 100 years, we had so many different uh, species from um, uh, from snakes, uh, any type of reptiles, uh, aquatic weeds, insects uh, that have been uh, come purposely or accidentally uh, introduced, unfortunately, and once established, has uh, wreaked havoc into some some uh, ecosystems, na- native ecosystems, and or uh, agricultural uh, areas. In the past few years, we we, we had we've been hit really hard. Uh, with um, of an insect that has caused massive damage to the citrus industry, for example, so we we understand very well in Florida the the cost of invaders that really change the dynamic, both from an ecological perspective but also from an economic perspective for many, and it's the same for. Many social insects, that includes many ants. We have more ant species than anywhere else in in the country, as far as I know. Maybe Texas has a few more. Uh, And more than 25% of the the species of ants in Florida are invasive. And with termites, we have a similar situation. We now have about 20 species of termites, which is, again, more than anywhere else in the country and about five maybe six of them are invasive again it's about a quarter of all species are invasive and these have been established over the many years from uh, boats coming in and out of, of ports uh, being sitting in marinas for 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 years and next thing you know this is this, this uh, species established and now they're part of our regular landscape so we we have to learn how to live with them now because once they- once they're here, they're done. We will never get rid of them.
0: That's what I, I, I wanted to um, unpack because I know that sometimes invasive, you know, the, the, the term invasive can perhaps be um, a bit of a pejorative. It can, it can sign something negative. Is there any evidence of some kind of improvement to the ecosystem and with the invasive species, say the termites? I know you said it's near on impossible to remove them, but is there a kind of way forward where perhaps there can be like an inclusive aspect and a coexistence in the in the ecosystem
1: yeah I totally agree that the term invasive has as this anthropomorphic connotation that it has to be bad because of a culture we've we've lived in for the, let's say for the past millennia where the invader is a bad one um, and it, it, it's true that when we look at an ecosystem we, we see things that were introduced uh, by human societies uh, have been moved around, eventually change the ecosystem. And it's true that we tend to look at it that this is a natural state and it, once some species have been introduced, it changed it and therefore people see it as bad because it's not like it used to be before. Now, as an evolutionist, that is just what's been happening for <laughs> millions of years where species have been moved around before we had anything to do with uh, we're accelerating the pro- accelerating the process uh, by moving things faster than they used to, <laughs> by far. Uh, but this idea that the species can't change the environment, and that's the new norm, and that's how evolution works ultimately. So I, I kind of look at it from a very neutral perspective, but it's true that societies tend to look at it as as a as a bad thing. Um, it's just that things change all the time. And-
0: mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have
1: something to do with it. Sometimes we do not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Right. So perhaps we'll move on to the paper before I ask you about, you know, explaining the novelty and the results of the paper. I was wondering if you could just unpack some of the terms, such as eusociality and biparental, alloparental. What's what? What do those terms mean?
1: Yeah. The the, the joy of jargons in science is, uh, is always <laughs> yeah. uh, is something that, that that always is barrier to to bring it to to. To everybody. So, and this is why I appreciate for you to take the time to do this. So, eusociality is a term that basically uh, describes groups of animals, and it's not just insects, some mammals, like more rats, do it, Um, but the group of animals that live uh, in a group where there's a a clear definition on who's doing what. So, we're going to have a reproductive division of labor, which means one or very few individuals are uh, doing all the reproduction inside the colony while everybody else is uh, uh, forego their ability to, to reproduce. So they basically are sterile or close to sterile. Uh, we also have overlapping generations, which means that within the colony, we have many generations that succeed one another over the years with the same uh, uh, individuals that do a reproduction. And eventually, we also have uh, um, a, a situation where some or most individuals are involved into uh, taking care of the young. Where the, uh, the, the idea that the parents are doing the, all the tasks and taking care of the babies, in Social Insect, that ability shifted away from the parents, which are now just doing reproduction, or give or take, but then all the task of brood care and 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 taking care of the, the entire function of a colony is now taken care by what we call the workers or some of the sterile cast that are basically doing everything else except
0: for reproduction. Wow, fantastic! So, not to jump ahead, but um, I was just wondering if you could clarify because it seems like quite an all-or-nothing strategy right to have a very small section of a population able to reproduce and then the others being sterile is there is there a kind of evolutionary what's the evolutionary advantage of being set up like that
1: that, that is always the interesting question and ultimately this is what led me to get into the field of research I, i'm doing and because uh, historically most of the work has been done with ants and honeybee as the model to understand the evolution of your sociality which is some fantastic work has been done over the past 50, 50 years to understand how these insects became so successful at what to do. And it's a, it's a, it's a cost-benefit uh, analysis from, from in the insect uh, perspective, where there's a trade-off. is If you do one strategy, there's going to be uh, benefits to do it, but there's going to be a cost. And depending on the selective pressure, it can be a winning strategy. It can be a losing strategy. But if you look at the entire animal biomass on Earth, ants and termites represent, I don't know, if was, I think there's an estimation that's been done recently, more than 50% of entire animal biomass, just ants wow. and termites. So I would argue it's a very well-winning strategy. They're very successful at what they do. And the way they do it is they decouple, the concept of reproduction and, and fitness. And here um, some people like to use the, the idea of uh, uh, superorganism in eusocial insect, where we go to another layer of complexity, where as, a, as, as an individual, as myself, where my cells are representing a different part of my body that form organs that have specific function in my organs. Mm-hmm. And for and colonies and termite colonies it's the function is not anymore within the individual but among individual where some individual will focus on defense some individual will focus on digestion some individuals will focus on reproduction where the the tasks have been split within in the individual and you have to look at the biological entity uh, not through the individual but through the colony that comprehends every single individual within the colony.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. We'll talk about the paper a little bit more now. Uh, I was just wondering if you could explain the novelty of the paper, perhaps some key takeaways, interesting results, and implications that come out of it. So
1: one of the things that motivated me to work on this paper was the most of the, the theories that has brought... Uh, scientists to understand social evolution in insect has been done on ants and and bees, for example. And often a lot of these concepts have been wedged into termite biology. I wanted to take a step back and go back to the fundamental Mm -hmm. differences of the biology of termites compared to social aminoptera. They are diplo-diploid, they are uh, monogamous, where the king and the queen remain together for decades, um, which is a very, very different system than social aminoptera. And they none of them are predators. They all feed on wood. Well, social aminoptera would believe have, have reached uh, sociality through predation. So again, the the roots and the conditions in which the different system uh, evolved your sociality as an evolutionary convergence were very, very different. And I wanted to go back to use a termite system to... What happened uh, 150 million years ago from that cockroach ancestor that became the first termite basically and for, for me some of the work has been done that are fantastic uh, in, in the past few decades thats really changed our understanding of how termites became termites and I wanted to uh, pinpoint the behavioral aspect that really changed everything and this paper, I want to show that in this pro termite, this pre-social cockroach, let's say, as the mom and dad are stuck in a piece of wood that are chewing on a very poorly nutritious uh, resource where the larvae take forever to grow and are kind of stuck for years in there, protected from the environment because they, they live inside their own food, basically. The shift of parental care from the mom and dad where the older siblings that were in the nest starting displaying these behavioral uh, patterns mm. of we're going to start taking care of our younger brother sister, let's say. And that kind of precipitated the termites into becoming social because now suddenly mom and dad have a bit more time to reproduce more because some of the first cohorts of individuals start taking care of uh, the next generation. And with many other Pre-existing condition, I would say, with uh, with the symbiosis that they were already involved, it really precipitated the this roach into the what we know as termites. And the interesting part of the study is, if we look at the first few months of the life of a colony, the male and the female are technically roaches, wood roaches, at this time because mom and dad are taking care of everything they're mating they're laying the eggs and then they're taking care of his eggs by licking the uh, depositing salivary secretions to help so it doesn't dehydrate Mm -hmm. or desiccate and then the larvae they feed them and then as the first few workers and uh, soldiers start showing up they provide them all the resources and nutrition and symbiotic to their young to their to their offspring and they give Everything they got, they they're running on fumes within just a few months because they're fully dedicated to invest everything they they brought with them into the next generation, and that kind of kicks the system. It basically jumpstart the, the economic engine of of a colony. And what happens is, if, as soon as the individuals that are still technically larvae in one way or another, they become competent. Uh, which means they are able to chew on wood, digest it and start giving care to the, the soldiers, to, to the young and also start feeding back mom and dad. As this behavior emerges in an incipient colony, in a, in a very young colony, we have this shift from what we call the biparental care, where mom and dad is doing everything, to an alloparental care, which is when everybody else is doing the brood care except mom and dad. And that shift is very obvious to observe when you look what's going on in the first few months, where you go from just mom and dad doing everything, and then suddenly that shift happens as soon as the workers are here. And what is really cool in termites, which is very different from social hymenoptera, is you have juvenile individuals or individuals that are stuck in a juvenile situation forever, in what, if you look at it that way, but do express adult behaviors the parental care by definition should be an adult behavior in termites that shift of behavior and uh, has emerged in in these young individuals that basically display these adult behaviors and allow the colony to become a eusocial group before that it's just a subsocial cockroach colony but as soon as workers take care of parental care, we finally have a situation where we have brood care from everybody. We have overlapping generation and we start having a reproductive division of labor because now mom and dad, which are officially the king and queen at this point, and shift solely to reproduction.
0: Wow, that's... Amazing, and is that so? Um, so I wanted you to elucidate, like, the or delineate the differences between because you mentioned the differences between ants, termites. Is that one of the one of the key differences that you, you know to highlight? Well,
1: a lot of the thing about social hymenoptera ants, bees, wasps, let's say, um, the the big dogma was and still is to some extent the the inclusive fitness because in social hymenoptera we have a haplodeploid system where societies are females and where the males only have half the genes and they only show up to mate and die in the, in the process, um, which means that most of the individual, at least as, as far as I'm understanding the, the emergence of eusociality in ants, uh, had uh, 75% of, of gene uh, similarity among individuals within the colony. In termites and most of the eusocial system, I'd argue, uh, we're dealing with a diplo-diploid system where male and female have all the sets of genes and therefore all the brothers and sisters in the colony share about 50% of the genes, which is a typical case when you have um, a monogamous system where all the offspring, in average, uh, have about 50% of similar- genetic similarity. Mm-hmm. He half from mom, half from dad, which is random through the, the, uh, the meiosis process. And and here we are, we're dealing with the relatedness among individuals is lower than in social Laminoptera, at least initially when eusociality emerged. So it was always hard to argue the inclusive fitness uh, theory in termites. Still is. 0.5 is pretty good and it's better than zero, I would argue. Mm -hmm. You still need to have a family unit where you share your genes and... But the, the idea that if I help my brother and sister in the colony to have them to grow into an adult and, and fly out and make a new colony, a big chunk of my genes will be spread in the process. And if you do the simple math for a colony of a million termites um, that can produce, let's say, 50,000 l8 every year when the colony reached maturity, from a worker perspective, I just need seven or eight of these L8s to successfully establish to have 99% of my genes spread to the next generation. Now, this is, again, a very anthropomorphic perspective. but Because termites rely on chaos and luck, they're playing a lottery every time doing a numbers game. Instead of having one individual uh, uh, trying to succeed on its own, what they do is they all swarm at the same time. You have billions of elates swarming in the environment. Most of them will be eaten. All it takes is just a few to make it and mm-hmm. genes pass down the next generation. And then From an evolu- perspe- evolutionary perspective, it, it works very well and we can see mm-hmm. ecolo- ecological success. And In this case, ants and termites have so much in common through evolutionary convergences.
0: Mm-hmm. fantastic right thank you for that so uh perhaps i've been watching too many period dramas about people vying for thrones but i wanted to uh understand how ascension works sort of uh, so you said some will buy the nest and go seek their fortunes in other pieces of wood um but how does it work within the colony say if the two parents died uh, or you know how 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 are they selected as the ones that are fit to go and try their luck? At, you know in the gene lottery.
1: So this is actually a very cool question, and um, there's a few things we know, a few, a lot of things we do not actually, and a lot of work has been done again in ants. Uh, let let me backtrack a second. For every uh, one termite biologist, we may have twenty five uh, ant biologists, which explain why we're kind of behind <laughs> in terms of things <laughs> um, but the idea is um, the king and queen are the longest insect uh, li- lived insect on earth in termites they're so 20 30 years who knows because it's hard to tell they they're really good at surviving the longest time and if they die which happens they depending on the species and depending on the the big group of taxa that exist out there, um, some individual can take over reproduction. And so uh, an individual that could have become a, a nymph and turn into an L8 and fly out, instead of flying out and producing wings, it just stay there and start kicking reproduction by mating with uh, potentially one of their parents or with one of her brother sisters, which includes a degree of inbreeding, mm-hmm. uh, which termites can tolerate for some times very well because it allows them to continue producing a massive amount of eggs and most of them are sterile anyway so the long-term consequence in evolution of inbreeding here is, is null basically mm-hmm. and all it takes is the next generation if they some of them turn into an infant and fly as they mate with other individuals from the environment they restore heterozygosity, and Again, a few of them will survive anyway, so all the ones that are not fit will be selected out. Mm -hmm. It's a numbers game again.
0: Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Right, Right. well, um, I think we've kind of talked about the germination of the idea already, so perhaps I'll ask you to get your crystal ball out, and uh, you've said that perhaps it's a little bit behind ant sort of research. Um, Where should the research be directed towards next what changes do you hope your work will precipitate and what do you want to see developing
1: so as i I consider myself as a behavioral ecologist to some extent uh, i definitely want to go back to the shift of behavior and see how it correlates with the activation of specific genes within the brain of individual Um, Mm -hmm. especially in the king and queen where it's very hard to work with them because it's not something you find easily. So we were mm-hmm. able to grow them by the thousands in the lab, by making colonies from collecting LAs from the field and, and making all of these baby, uh, baby colonies there. So we do have the king and queens uh, that we have access to. And we can start looking at their biology because it's been mostly ignored because we've been focusing on the workers and soldiers, which are relatively easily accessible in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but also, we can look at it at the colony level, which is also changed our perspective where we've been only looking at the bio- biology of some individuals that we collect in the field out of the context of the colony, out of the context of the social complexity of it. So mm-hmm. as we are able to see everyone now in small colonies in the lab, we can really see who's doing what, when when. And potentially why, which is always interesting questions. And as I start looking at the king and queen, they do or do not things that I simply didn't know. And I want to understand why they're doing this. And ultimately, as their behavior changes uh, from the moment they start the to call into the moment they become the, the sole reproductive,s and are taken care by their their own offspring, there's a fundamental shift in the physiology, in the biology, and in the behaviors. And I want to see how all of this cor- uh, um, correlates so we can understand what ha- what's happening basically during this transition. And we can add, identify potentially candidate genes that that are the cause of social behaviors, which is not always easy
0: to get. Right, fantastic. Um, so just before we wrap up, uh, I was going to ask you if you wanted to do some shout outs, perhaps the supervisors, teams, but I want to go back um, and talk about some of the programs that you're involved in quickly. The UF IFAS School of Structural Fumigation, Termite Course for Professionals, and International Termite Course. Um, could you just let our listeners know sort of what's involved? You don't have to do all three if it's too much time. Just pick the most interesting one.
1: No, it's okay. Um, so... Um... As a termite biologist, um, if I say, "Hey, I work on termites," uh, people will ask me, "How do I kill them?" Because <laughs> that's that's how it works. So mm-hmm. I cannot just work on termites and not know how to kill them if they're chewing on your house. Mm-hmm. So, I as I have an extension appointment uh, here at UF, I need to cater for the the public basically and. I do it directly or indirectly through the pest control industry to make sure that the industry has the tools to help homeowners, for example. So for me, I basically dedicate some of my time to make sure that the industry is properly trained with uh, the most current knowledge in, in science uh, in the, within the regulatory framework that uh, the use of pesticide has to be done which varies a lot from country to country and from state to state also. So the fume the, the school or the school of structural fumigation is basically a very unique program where we bring people from around the world and we spend an entire week to explain uh, how to do a, a, a fumigation that is within the rules, that is efficient, and that is uh, made uh, uh, safe, basically, in the way that it's made safe. And because it's a very uh, dangerous uh, product to use. And the idea you tent a house, you inject the gas, you kill anything that is inside, including bed bugs, ants, rats, cockroach that you don't know where they are. And as you remove a tent, the gas disperses, and you basically reset everything. Uh, mm-hmm. it's legal in few places in around the world, and where it's legal, it's heavily regulated. So as part of an educator, we need to make sure the industry know what it's doing, basically, and mm-hmm. we have the best instructors coming and telling, explaining how to do it and what to know what and on how to do it. So that mm-hmm. that one is is very uh, interesting to me because it, it uh, as a biologist that has never been exposed to the industry as a whole, uh, it kind of opened my eyes about the reality of termites beyond. their their coolness and their evolutionary uh, ecology and all of this Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I can indulge also on the other side where I do organize every other year the the termite course the international termite course for academics where we bring all of the who's who in termite biology graduate student, postdocs um, anybody who is interesting uh, about termites come Mm -hmm. and we spend a week just nerd out uh, nerding out about uh, how cool termites are, and we share uh, a lot of our own information. We start collaborations, and we our goal is to move the termite science forward uh, in a way that is more uh, modern and more interactive, and with more collaborations from different teams around the world. Uh, because we were still playing catch up in many in many ways compared to the the, the ants and the bees.
0: Mm, fab. So.
1: I mean, I think we've shone a
0: quite positive light on termites so far, but I I just wanted to know, and this is coming from a layperson, because everyone just thinks, you know, they they destroy structures and they're they're terrible and they need to be killed. How do they um, assist or how do they, what are are their functions in ecosystems that are a benefit to the ecosystem itself? Are there anything, is there anything like that?
1: That's probably the most important question of the day. So there's about 3,000 termite species around in the world, mostly in the tropics, but also in some more warm temp- temperate areas. And most of the species have a fundamental ecological function where they allow for the carbon cycle to exist. Uh, in some mm-hmm. tropical areas, without termites, the whole ecosystem collapses. They are the f- some of the few to unlock the carbon store in wood. Uh, so, and they also participate to bioturbation, which means they they move the, the nutrition aspect within the soil, basically. They move things around in the soil. They're far more than the earthworm, I would argue, in many parts of the tropics. Um, and out of this 3,000 species, maybe 100 have a potential to be pests. So the vast majority of termites are doing their thing in environments and never associated with people. The problem is, we, we build things that are made out of wood, we grow things that are made out of cellulose, which includes uh, uh, agricultural uh, commodities like uh, like tea and sugarcane and other mm-hmm. things. And some species can very well feed on these commodities. So we have agricultural pests, and then we have a handful of very bad structural pests. And, and these five or six uh, uh, species are taking the bad rap for everybody. Mm -hmm. Basically, these are the ones that people care because they're feeding on their house. It's their mortgage. It has a big economic impact around the world. I think the last estimate 10 years ago was about $40 billion in damage every year uh, worldwide. So it has a significant impact on our livelihood, not Mm -hmm. only because it can take our house down. Also, some of the species are terrible uh, crop pests. So... Because as uh, human societies, we are experiencing life um, primarily through these, because they are, these are the ones that we interact with. Mm-hmm. We tend to see them in a very, very negative view. And therefore, uh, in, in the psyche of societies, termites equal terrible thing. I want to kill them all. And mm-hmm. they're crawlies, and I have my mortgage to pay. And when you put all of this together, it's, it's basically termite as this, there's nothing good about termites basically. And I, I, I totally get this. It's because there's a reality that society live to. through. Um, but I, I feel I'm one of the few lucky ones out there with, with some of my colleagues and, and students, that we get to see how cool termites can be and not all of them are bad. And most of them are very important, but we tend to ignore that part often because... Uh, if it's somewhere in the middle of the forest, uh, it's not something that people tend to care really. I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's some kind of. I'm sure someone much smarter than me can do some kind of Marxist analysis of termites attacking commodity <laughs> and <laughs> the alloparental care being you know uniting the workers, but. Uh, we'll wrap up there. Just before, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? Well,
1: it's clear that I, I'm not here on my own. Uh, I didn't come here on my own. Uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to have been uh, mentored by a group of scientists in France, which is uh, Christian Bordereau and Alain Robert, who uh, were my predecessors there. Uh, they really exposed me to how cool termites are. And, and then he, as I came to Florida to do my PhD and kind of stayed there, actually, um, I was able to really work with uh, Nanya Osu, which is, was my supervisor, who kind of revolutionized how we deal with termites in structures in a way that really reduced pesticide to, to a point where it, it really has changed uh, the, mm-hmm. the industry for the better. And also uh, Rudy Shefran, who has uh, really been uh, very uh, um, instrumental in putting the Fume School together to, m- to make it a very successful program, to make sure that the, the fumigators are doing the their work selfly, safely and efficiently. And I kind of inherited that program and I keep moving it forward. It's wonderful,
0: right? Well, thank you so much, Thomas. It's It's been a really, really lovely conversation. Um, I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners will too. Um, just to remind them as well uh, a transcript of this podcast will be available um for you know any if you want to share it with anyone hard of hearing um and links to the paper um will be available as well as thomas's plain language summary um so yeah just to wrap up i want to say thank you so much thomas thank you so much frank it was a pleasure